0: one of the things that immediately happened was that everybody's plans got canceled and people began to live uh, a very home-centered life instead of an activity-centered life right and then suddenly people discovered like we're having supper together most nights of the week as opposed to a rare special occasion we have working from home uh, opens up for people Uh, conversations with their kids throughout the day instead of uh, squeezing it in uh, in the evening or first thing in the morning. In the midst of uh, sadness and loss and uh, confusion, we are experiencing some real gifts in this time.
1: You're listening to Father Peter Marshall talking about the unexpected blessings of the past year of COVID-19. Father Peter is my guest on this episode of Michael Loves Indy. Hi, friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indie. This episode features a conversation with Father Peter Marshall about the unexpected blessings of COVID-19 and ways to look at the past 12, 13 months in different ways from a spiritual perspective. And quick disclaimer, Michael Loves Indie podcast is actually recorded, produced, edited, music, everything by me in my home studio on the evenings and weekends when I'm not working on the activities of my employer, the Indy Chamber. So it's not a project of my employer, the Indy Chamber. And that was really important to me so I could have a wide range of conversations on topics, including spiritual topics on occasion. And this conversation, I think you'll hear it, is meant to apply to anybody of different faith or spiritual practices, and Because uh, Father Peter Marshall is just really, really good. I mean, he's somebody I reach out to regularly for advice. We've been friends for 20 years. He's officially the only close friend I had who entered the clergy. So the, the, only, the only person that I knew before he or she entered the clergy. And uh, when I met Father Peter Marshall, we were in Indianapolis, and he was working as a social worker and counselor. He felt called to the priesthood. He talks a little bit about that in the interview. But what I wanted to talk to him about, this is almost like dropping a microphone in one of our regular conversations when I'm reaching out to him for advice. This was a few weeks ago, and I was having one of those kind of what does it all mean past few days in trying to look for silver linings or a longer term view or a more spiritual view of the past 13 months. And I think he really does that. Um, and again, in a way that I think speaks to people of a lot of different backgrounds and, and uh, spiritual practices. So he's a very thoughtful individual. He does a great job leading his church on the St Jude on the south side of Indianapolis. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Father Peter Marshall. So, are you are you starting to get a uh, a sense in your parish community that we're approaching something like normal? Because the reason I ask is, I think it's partly the weather. I think it's partly we've been doing this a year. You know, that's been an mm-hmm. unusual year. You know, we're about to host NCAA basketball, which is when all this started. So, it, I don't know. Right. This is more of an intuitive thing. Do you, are you getting the sense in your community that we're we're transitioning into a different phase?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, in December, we were averaging high 500s in attendance over the weekend between the four masses, and uh, that went up a little bit to just over 600 through January and February, Wow! but the last two weekends, we've been up to 770 people-plus. Wow. Uh, between the four masses. So there's a real noticeable shift occurring, I, I think, in, in people's behavior. Do
1: you think it's a is that just a, a hunger to get back to being part of community or what do you think? What do you think that is? I,
0: I think it is. I think that's the real drive uh, behind it. I think other factors are important, The kind of low case numbers. And uh, that's important, I think the fact that a lot of our older folks and first responders have been vaccinated is also uh, definitely playing a part and people want this, but they also are feeling comfortable with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, if I wanted to, I didn't really have a plan. I just wanted to have a conversation uh, because that's really interesting. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the same trend as well, just in our neighborhood and in downtown that you're seeing in the parish and I always, you always give me kind of a different take on things in a broader perspective. And obviously you also have a bit of a contrarian streak, which may be putting what? it mildly. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you're also, you're also someone who is never, is is always going to challenge the kind of the mainstream view of things. So I, I think what I wanted to do is just get your thoughts on kind of the last year, how, what, like, what can we learn from it? in terms of pointing to the future, just in general, right. from a spiritual perspective. And before I do that, I did want to ask you, for the listeners, any listeners who might not know you, you know, you had sort of a um, non-traditional path to Catholic priesthood. Is that an accurate yes, statement? That
0: is mildly accurate,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, uh, I, I mentioned a little bit of it in the intro, but could you share a, a little bit of your background and life story in terms of what got you to your current role as pastor?
0: Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that stands out from many guys who end up in, in the Catholic priesthood is I'm an adult convert to the Catholic faith. And uh, I came into the church in my late twenties and um, uh, had been to college, had been to graduate school, was working as a social worker and a therapist. Um, And uh, I think that brings uh, a lot of different perspectives, both from um, a faith perspective of really kind of uh, growing up in one tradition and feeling called by God into another, but also just different life experiences of um, I knew how to read a financial sheet and um, I had responsibilities like car payments and rent payments and all those things, whereas You know, we're seeing uh, now a lot more guys who uh, come from high school into college seminary or guys who uh, go from college seminary or from a regular college directly into the graduate seminary. And So um, I think that that is a distinction with me uh, that that's different. So
1: and in addition, when we met when um, we were in our late 20s, early 30s, and you were a social worker at the time, if memory serves me, when we met and you were working with adolescents who are going through a lot of, you know, life changes and things like that. Um, and I think it was, was it, was it around that time that you felt the calling to the priesthood?
0: It was, and that was kind of a surprise to me. Um, my father, uh, growing up, my father had been a Protestant minister and, um, I was—I wouldn't say I was necessarily drawn from an early age to ministry. Um, I was active in, in church at, in many ways uh, before I became a Catholic. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I began to uh, feel a call into uh, ministry as opposed to just being a, an active volunteer in the parish.
1: Um, and... Um... Did you feel, so, and then you ended up going to Catholic seminary, um, of course, as a, um, kind of on average as one of the older, older guys, is that right? Right. Yeah, but with more, with more kind of life experiences, yeah. And then, um, so, so, um, how long have you been, how long has it been now that you've been pastor at St. Jude? Uh,
0: I arrived at St. Jude uh, around the 1st of July, 2019.
1: That's right. And then, so one of I your
0: just kind yeah. of figured out where the light switches were when the pandemic hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And then, prior to that, I do I do think this might be interesting too for people to know. One prior to being at St. Jude, you had a role for a few years um, counseling and doing spiritual direction for young men in the seminary and and those considering priesthood. Correct.
0: Yes. From, uh, 2013 to 2019, I was full-time on staff at St. Minard Seminary. Uh, I was director of spiritual formation and I taught a few classes and, uh, so, but the bulk of my work was doing, uh, one-on-one spiritual direction with, uh, seminarians there.
1: Very good. Well, I sure appreciate it. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, so it's funny you mentioned. So you're you're assigned to a, a large parish on the south side of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, lot of uh, tradition at that parish. And as you mentioned, you said, just figured out where the light switches were, and then the pandemic hit. Can you right. describe, because now by the time this conversation runs, it will have been about almost exactly a year since at least Indianapolis and Indiana had the shelter-in-place orders and things got shut down. So can you describe... Kind of what your what you were experiencing and what your community ex- was experiencing when when the the news uh, first hit,
0: right. Uh, so we were in Lent, which is all always a busy season, and uh, you know we have extra reconciliation confession times. We have uh, extra talks on spirituality and. We're preparing for Holy Week, which is the biggest, most intense week of Catholicism. Uh, So it's already a busy time, and we began to get these notices. You know, we had uh, conference calls with the Archdiocesan Office of Catholic Schools. We had conference calls for priests. Uh, You know, it was like Zooms and conference calls suddenly exploding. Uh, And every day the information would be a little bit different, that we were going to stay open but put these kind of restrictions in place, and then suddenly it was lock the doors, everybody go home. Um, So that was kind of a a very fluid and, and a little bit chaotic time, and that's not anybody's fault. It was just the information that we all got as a society was changing every day. Um, so it was, it was a little bit before kind of the reality of it actually sunk in, and I suddenly had a Lent with uh, almost nothing to do, uh, as opposed to a, a normal Lent.
1: And the you, I remember you reflecting, you know, during especially the first uh, few months the pandemic. We talked a couple of times, and you were kind of encouraging people at that time um, at, and I'm, I'm going back to thinking about specific conversations saying um, there's a there's a there are silver linings here that maybe yes. aren't as obvious and you were one of the first people I think the reason this sticks out father is because um, in the first couple of months where a lot of us were like what is going on and what's my daily routine and the kids in school and things like that you were one of the first people saying, Okay, this is, you know, th- this is serious, but it's it's not it's not all bad. There's a silver right. lining here. Um, I'm gonna ask you to to if, if if any if any of those conversations that you had with people come to mind, I'm gonna ask you to, to share that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, I think on one of the things that immediately happened was that everybody's plans got canceled and people began to live uh, a very home centered life instead of an activity centered life. Right. And then suddenly people discovered like, Oh, you know, this is scary and this is chaotic and all this, but we're having supper together most nights of the week, as opposed to a rare special occasion where the family would sit down uh, for supper. And uh, that, we have working from home uh, opens up for people uh, conversations with their kids throughout the day instead of uh, squeezing it in uh, in the evening or first thing in the morning. So I think right away, people need people were experiencing it, and I thought it was important for me to help highlight that for people that in the midst of uh, – sadness and loss and, uh, confusion, we are experiencing some real gifts in this time.
1: I, I also noticed that early on, um, the awareness of, um, essential workers, um, Mm. uh, you know, doctors and nurses and first responders, public safety personnel, there was, and I, and I have to say, almost to a point where I felt a little bit bad or guilty sometimes that it's like, well, wow, I've got an office job that I can transfer to my right. home. It's not, it's right. not the same, but we're, but I'm making do. And wow, there are neighbors of mine who, um, uh, who, uh, you know, not only are they still out there on the front lines, but they're being exposed to this virus. Right. You know, And I know, I know you've got a lot of, like you mentioned earlier, public safety personnel, medical personnel in your parish, um, do, do you recall situations or, or, you know, reflections on what, what um, uh, your kind of your essential workers among your community were going through?
0: Yeah, I, I think there was, there there was almost like a dueling uh, polls in a lot of the essential workers at that time. There was a sense of resolve and, uh, dedication that really like, this is, this is our moment and this is what we're here for. And we're, we're going into it coupled with, I mean, we had, if you remember back a year ago, all we heard about was the news of we can't find enough masks and we don't have enough gloves. And, you know, so there was some real anxiety there, especially while we were figuring out, um, both how the virus was transmitted and how we can prevent against transmission. Uh, there was, um, some, some very frightening times there for our, our essential workers. Um, but I, I also think that for many of them, that was really balanced with, um, that sense of this is who I am and what I do and they were ready to go.
1: I, uh, Everything you talked about, plus the the number of businesses, especially small businesses, that were experiencing challenges, restaurants, hospitality businesses, that made it a pretty gut wrenching um, yes. time for a lot of people and a lot, and I know a lot of families too. And again, um, I, I mentioned in the intro, you know, you're someone who has a an awareness of many different faith traditions and spiritual traditions, as as the the listeners of this program do as well. And, and, you know, my question is, you know, in those first two or three months, I know I had a lot of questions about, and I struggle, you know, even as a Catholic, as a Christian with the omnipotent God or the omniscient God or when, right. you know, and it's just like, did, did you find yourself reflecting on or even giving advice when people would say, where, what, what is going on? Like, where, where is God in this?
0: Right. Um, that, that that's a great question. Uh, the I think that we always have to remember that in the Christian understanding of the world, it broke at the fall, right? Whatever that story in Genesis represents, it represents a a departure from the perfection of creation. And um, God simultaneously knows everything and respects, uh, humanity's free will. And that was abundantly, uh, clear in the story of the fall that Adam and Eve, you know, freshly created by God, having a unique relationship with God, um, chose to sin and chose to disobey God. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes get caught up on what seems like punishment from God but is really rather um, kind of natural consequences that once creation was pulled from its perfection, uh, things like disease enter the world. And uh, we continue to struggle with uh, the effects of those uh aftershocks if you will of the fall and uh it is not that god is uncaring but that rather god chooses um for unknown reasons to us to let things play out and um so for for me personally it wasn't a faith shaking event this pandemic it was Uh, I I certainly prayed for God to, uh, uh, relieve us from this and to, to keep everybody safe. But, um, we, we know that disease just is part of life in this world.
1: As, as you were just kind of talking, I was thinking, you know, um, it's my hope as, um, uh, a, a christian that's what, you know but mm-hmm. that in situations like this so you know an an event that hasn't you know happened in the world in a 100 years that it would ultimately bring people closer together and almost yes. you know of all the of all the death and loss and sadness almost be an, an an invitation to bring people closer together and i feel like we the there are examples of that all around us but there right. but there's also but we're also in this environment and and I I want to talk about the events of the summer but we're in a media environment that I've ne- like I've never been more aware of a, of an, of a media environment and I'm not and by the way I'm not one of these people saying oh the media is always liberal cuz I don't think that I think it's more much sure. more complex than that but there's just so much fear you know so it's yes. like on one hand you look at this situation and you're like where where is god or you know your your higher power and the the will of the Of of um of a God in this, and and you're like, well, I hope that this for there's there's some people talking about, well, hey, maybe this could be the one thing that would bring the world together. You know, the fight against COVID and the need to to find a vaccine and things like that in these early months, and yet there's just this constant drumbeat. I feel like of just fear, fear, fear. You know, division, division, division. How did you know how do how do you how do you reconcile that or you know advise people?
0: Right. So one of the things that I became aware of kind of early on while still in um whatever we want to call it, lockdown, quarantine, shelter at home, um, is that COVID quickly became like a a hum in the back of my ear. It that is, it was kind of constantly present. It was certainly every conversation that I had with somebody revolved around COVID. Um, uh, it was something that my thoughts would drift to in prayer or, uh, while I was trying to work on my homily for the, for Sunday, you know, it, it's this constant pressure and what that does to us as humans really is bring us constantly. We were, I, I think many, many, many of us were, uh, always ready for fight or flight and, right. uh, we were we had that that anxiety, even if we weren't always consciously aware of it, it was kind of this background noise that um, I think in many ways primed us to be more. I don't want to say extreme isn't the right word, but more um, ready to fight as yeah. uh, other political events unfolded over the year. We, because we were already at the point of
1: stress. Right. Right. And, and I guess it's like, where do you, where, and you know, where, where do you take that, you know, in terms of, um, and I know this is a bigger, it's a bigger question, but it's like, where can you take that, um, in terms of like, and get clues as to how to live your life, you know? post COVID. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll tell, well, I'll tell you, it's like somehow it came to me and I, and this just came to me. It was like one day early on in COVID, I got off all social media, which might be a little bit extreme, but I, it was basically, and I, not cause I, not cause I sat down and put a plan together and worked it out, but I realized, I realized it's like so in my job leading a business organization and trying to figure out how to get relief to some of these businesses, I would come, I found myself just compulsively checking uh, Twitter and Instagram. And I re and I realized that it was just, just the, the, it was the negativity and things like that that was piling up. But, but I, th- I think social media can be wonderful tools. Don't get me wrong. But I found like I was checking them compulsively and it was actually sapping me of energy needed to like be there for my family and do my job, you know? So that was just, and that, right. that, that was just, that was just one thing, one thing that came to me, but you know, I don't know. Um, in terms of, in terms of where do you, where do you channel that energy? Do you have any insights?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, the first, uh, idea is is embedded in your question when you say channel that that implies intentionality yeah and uh we have to be intentional you know we we couldn't be intentional at the beginning it just exploded upon us right Right. and we were reacting to uh, the disease we were reacting to government directives all of this but as we begin to come out, we have the option to be intentional. Right. And I think that's crucial. Too often we kind of blunder through transition spaces. Yeah. And uh, we, we do okay, right? But if we can plot out what we'd like to do, and what we'd like to be on the other end of the transition, I think we'll be much
1: better off. And I know a lot of us, I, especially those with, with any kind of family commitments or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like one way that we oftentimes react is just filling our schedule with activity, you know, right. and, and even, and I'll, sometimes I'll rationalize it to myself saying, well, I got a lot of family commitments. I want to be there for my family. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes that's the, even though I might have good intentions, that's the thing that prevents me from changing you know, behavior or being more focused and intentional, as you say.
0: Right. I mean, if we enjoyed, uh, the ability to have family dinners, uh, then let's put them on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, if we enjoyed, uh, having some free time for walks in the neighborhood, you know, keep that space open. And, and certainly, uh, as a Christian and as a priest, um, to say, are we, are we keeping that time for God? Are we keeping that time for our personal prayer and meditation? Are we keeping time for, uh, worship or all of that. Um, we, we get to choose what life after the pandemic looks like. And, uh, we need to choose not just hope for the best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This summer, um, it, it, it was just, you know, it felt like a perfect storm because you have the get the virus, um, of course, the shutdowns to try yeah. to keep people safe, the disproportionate impact on small businesses. And then this mm-hmm. it started really like a snowball, the disproportionate impact on um, people in poverty and in the United yes. States, black and brown people. And then. Yes. And then um, George Floyd. Other incidents of police shootings and just this what i've seen and, and and we cover we've covered this topic on a few of the my you know the episodes of this podcast, mm-hmm. even though it's early of at least in the mainstream of America, I think an unprecedented level of awareness around racial inequities and other kinds of injustices and you know you always provide for me really um, good perspective about personal our sort of personal roles and what we can do as individuals and trying to take us out because it's so easy to get sucked into the political rhetoric which right is is trying to force you to take a side on everything and it drives me nuts you know it tries to it's like everything becomes a two-sided conversation and most issues I just I think are not that Um, did you have any aha moments or moments counseling um, you know members of your community or anything like that as we get in got into the summer and fall last year and you've got, I mean, you know, because of technology and camera phones, now we're able. I mean, we we the the horror of seeing in some cases people killed, but right. and then and then the the pro the the protests in 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 many cities. Did you did you have reflections or find yourself like I said, you know, um, advising uh, people as we're observing all this?
0: Yeah, I think you know one of the things that's really crucial for me as. Um, as a Christian and as a priest, is that in matters of faith and theology, uh, I I think most of the time, tension is the correct place to be. That is, whenever we try to resolve the tension to uh, one side or the other, we've probably misstepped. And, um, living in that tension over the summer of, um, the racial inequity is real. And, uh, also I try hard, uh, not to be a racist and, uh, holding those things in tension and seeking God's voice of what do we do as a, as a faith community is important and not just say, oh, well, this is what, you know, the New York Times said is the answer, and so that's where I'll go. Yeah. Or, or it, this is where, you know, some idiot said on Facebook, and and that's what, where I'll go.
1: Yeah. You you wouldn't know this because I just released it, but is the 12th episode. Uh, Imhotep Adisa, who leads the Kepra Institute, has been a big influence on me the last three years. One of the central themes of this conversation, which you're echoing, but from a different perspective is he, their organization is, has really been, I think, you know, many years, if not decades out in front talking about the need to change policies and change systems and things like that. But it's so funny because his, it's like central to Imhotep Adisa's philosophy is if you're like, if so speaking as myself, if I'm not reaching out to, to form, meaningful friendships with people who think differently than I do and actually investing the time in those relationships. And it's funny, I, I, you know, I smiled when you said tension because he mentions the word tension several times. He, he, he doesn't believe that system change is even possible if individuals are not actually like investing the time and developing trust and friendship with people who think differently than they do. And that, that has forced me to kind of look at my life and go, whoa, you know? Right,
0: right and i think also like forming those relationships for the sake of relationship and not for the sake of converting
1: right or 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 uh, quid pro quo or right. transaction yeah right yeah and i mean um how you know do you do you um, you know, you and I have both, we, we, you and I had similar upbringings and fairly homogenous, you know, rural yeah. environments in, in Illinois and, and things like that. And I guess, you know, for anybody listening, thinking, you know, I have a desire to do that. How do I even start to do that? You know, um, what are there, are there things that things that come to mind, I guess, in both in your, your current role and in your previous lives?
0: Yeah, I think, um. Number one is to look around at my world and say, uh, is there somebody in my world that uh, I haven't pursued relationship with, um, but that might be good for me uh, to do, right? And is that a person of color? Is that a person of another class? Is that uh, a person with... uh, fairly different uh ideas about the world and uh and and form a friendship um like you would any other friendship right not yeah. not as a special project but to be intentional and say oh let's have them over for dinner or let's uh have a beer on the deck with this person that I've never invited to my house before
1: yeah and i man i just i don't know this is an intuitive thing but i just i think I think people are going to be hungry for that as the weather yes. gets nicer and people get vaccinated. And I don't, you know, it's just more of a, a like like an intuitive thing. I feel like I can sense it. Um, heavy, a heavy topic, but it's such a necessary topic. Is the the death totals are alarming right. of the last yes. year. It's just you know, and I I think all of us know someone. If they, if, if if we didn't lose someone in our lives. We we have a friend who lost someone close to right. them, and I know I know this is it's such a you know could have you could you could have an entire you could give an entire you know lecture series or meditation series on this topic, sure. but um, it it's just I feel like it's just been uh, there have been daily reminders, if not week you know weekly reminders that this life is short. We you right. know we don't know how much time we have. Have you? Have you lost a lot of parishioners? Have you found yourself um, counseling a lot of families in this time?
0: Yeah, uh, we've been blessed. I I wouldn't say we've lost a lot to COVID, um, but we have lost some. And uh, we've also lost some that were kind of tertiary to COVID, uh, people who didn't seek medical care as quickly or as aggressively uh, as they might have, um, particularly... During the lockdown periods, Um, and uh, and our rituals around death radically shifted during this time, right? Yes, right. Um, So, like during lockdown, I did a fair number of uh, quote unquote funeral services that were just at the graveside. We didn't have a mass. Uh, we didn't have a, we certainly didn't have a calling or a visitation at the funeral home. We just went to the graveside. And even there in the early days when we didn't fully understand that outdoors was really safer, um, you know, it might, the cemetery might've limited that to 10 people. And, uh, so there was a lot of grief that wasn't able to be handled in what we've come to view as normal ways to handle grief. Yes. And I think, um, a, a really crucial thing to anybody, uh, who might be listening. Do you have listeners? Um,
1: I think I have they, two
0: <laughs> and one of them is <laughs> <But> my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think really crucial to that is to say, um, you know, if it's not over for you, it's not over. Continue to process and work through that grief. Um, even if it's been six months and if if it still feels fresh or unfinished and also to, to talk to your church, your synagogue, your friend group, whoever it may be and say, is there a way for us to kind of ritualize this at this point? Um, you know, tomorrow the archdiocese is celebrating a uh, mass for a priest who died during lockdown, and uh, we because we weren't able to have a mass then, so we're having a mass wow. now, and yeah. um, and that's an important just at a human level, let alone at us at a spiritual level, that that ritual uh, conclusion to the grieving process, I think, is really.
1: Uh, crucial and i don't know you know it's like um somewhat like i can't tell you just from our own family standpoint so much of the stuff that we have we've been able to we've been able to give away not because yeah not because we're virtuous it's just like just can we let's let's just downsize there's this sense this involuntary like we just need to simplify because we don't need a lot of this stuff. There are more important things happening in the world, you know. Right? <laughs> have you seen right. Have you seen similar um, patterns among your your community?
0: Yeah, I, I think like one of the things for a lot of people was when vacation got canceled, uh, that realization that we don't need to do big events to enjoy our family. Yeah. Right. And um, we can plan some some small events, uh, a day out at the park or, uh, you know, a a backyard barbecue or whatever and enjoy each other. And we don't need the uh, you know, we don't need Florida or uh, a theme park or whatever. Uh, There's nothing wrong with those things. But what what we actually need is each other.
1: Absolutely. And do you think, um, if someone, you know, if someone came to you and said, Hey, it's been a, it's been a tough year. Um, you know, I lost, I lost someone close to me and I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure out how to, how to, um, uh, move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I guess I'm kind of combining, and I think this, I think this is common. It's like, you know, loss of one, loss of a loved one, greater awareness of, um, you know, the fragility of our, you know, economy, things like that. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about, we've, I can, I can, again, I can see my, my, I'm, I, I really sincerely hope that March and April is going to be great, not just for Indianapolis, but for the world, as, as we, as we start to get, get people vaccinated. And it's like, I don't know. And then obviously, you know, if you're a Christian, the Easter season, so we're in, we're in the season of Lent, you know, coming through Easter. So you can almost, you can almost, you can almost see this on, on many different levels. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting father, this kind of, this sort of like blind optimism, but when you start to, when you start to put that together and think about, well, where's, where's God's will in this? Right. Um, how do, what what how do you start to process that
0: yeah i i think the like the crucial thing is to remember you know very basic christian understanding no matter what our tradition is god's will is for us to be happy uh and and that's reflected in his desire for us to join him in in heaven for eternity and so um enter into that, not as kind of like, you know, wild libertines, but as, as people who are called to joy, people who are called to hope um, that God rejoices in our, um, our enjoyment of the gifts that he has given us in a responsible manner. Um, And, uh, God also enters into our sorrow. You know, the, the passage in the gospel where Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and weeps, Jesus knows that in a few minutes he's going to raise him from the dead, but he stands there and weeps at the loss of his friend and also at the loss of that the people around him are experiencing. Um, so God is in life And if we, uh, if we enjoy life, you know, again, responsibly, I, I sound like a beer commercial there. Um, but if we enjoy life responsibly, like God, that that's pleasing to God, not, um, in spite of God, God gave us the gifts of love and of sunshine and of good food and drink and, uh, all of that. And, um, he wants us to take advantage of, of these moments.
1: You, you reminded me of the, um, I'm just, I'm not having a great couple of weeks when it comes to dealing with politicians. I'll just say that. And so it's like, you know, and I, I learned this from you, you definitely model this for, for me and for other people, like being able to laugh at yourself and humor becomes, I think, an essential part of that joy. You know, I think, and you, (laughs) you know, you, you, you never take yourself too seriously. I think that's why you're very relatable, but it's just like, Man, the humorlessness around the political conversations is just yes. driving me nuts. It's just yes. like, and wh- I don't know whether it's whether it's the kind of thing that take take place in the public public forums with our own elected officials or just people on Facebook. And it's just like the inability for us to step back and laugh at ourselves is like is just robbing us of that joy. You know what I mean? Right,
0: right. And that no one, you know. <laughs> None of our leaders, whether they be in politics or in the church or wherever they may be, none of them are are so exalted that we can't laugh. You know, um, the the Pope did this historic trip to Iraq, and he comes off the plane, and his little shoulder cape flies up, and the poor man almost falls down the stairs. And uh, you know, I, I would have if it had ended tragically, I wouldn't have laughed, but. You know, like, the Pope doesn't take himself that seriously. Why should I? Yeah, yeah.
1: Right now, we're right now as we record this, we're looking at a situation where, I'm not going to cast blame on any individuals, but it was three weeks ago on the floor of the House of Representatives, there was some incredibly rude behavior, which I haven't yes. watched all the tapes, but at best, there was a lot of racially insensitive stuff said at best, and I'll just leave it at that. Right. And again, I'm not an elected official. People who run, I respect. You know, you got to knock on all those doors. You know, and there's a ton of pressures. But it's just like, I just want to just, I just want to say, can can we just like in any organization, like you or I would be responsible if we were at fault for apologizing, if we, or or for bringing people together, saying, okay, can you know can we just work out our differences and at least figure out a way to move forward? And, and just, I don't know, man, it's just like, seems like we're just, we're, we're so, we're so amped up. And I think a lot of, um, I think, I think, you know, political elected leaders are um, maybe paying too much attention to people who are spending too much time on social media, you know, who are like, don't give an inch. And um, I, I really hope, I don't know. I, I really hope that coming out of, what the world's been through the last year is just, my hope is just a greater, a greater understanding, you know, just more, um, uh, you know, inspiration for, for myself to, to reach out farther and develop and develop these relationships. But I, you know, I don't know. It's just, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm on a rant now, but I'm just kind of responding to things that are (laughs) very, very much of the moment. And it's like, could you guys just, you know, get, get in a room and sit down and just work it out respectfully? I don't know.
0: You know, here's the thing, um, Michael, and I think you and I both have an awareness as public people. Um, uh, hopefully most of the time I act well because of, of the spirit of God living in me and uh, a desire to be good. Right. But sometimes I, I make choices because I'm like, well, this is what the majority of my people want me to be this way. Yeah. They want me to be good. They want me to uh, say things like this. And that doesn't mean I lack integrity. It just means sometimes I need the help of, I don't know what we call it, customer service, right? Right. <laughs> so one of the shocking things to me about politicians is they must say those things because they believe the majority of their voters want them to be like that. Right. And if, if they are correct in that, we have a problem.
1: Oh man. How many times have you, have you had the experience where you find yourself sitting next to a politician or a public person and you thought that you were kind of dreading the interaction and then you sat next to him and you're like, oh wow, this, this person's thoughtful, kind nature doesn't match how they are in public at all, you know? And there's something, there's something like simultaneously, um, you know, refreshing, but then also disturbing because you almost want to be like, well, why, why don't we get, why don't we get this version of the person out in public? Right. You know, I, I don't know.
0: Oh, that happens to me even with other priests or or ministers of different religious traditions, where you know, online or there's, you see a homily or a sermon from somebody, and you're like, oh wow, they're really hellfire and brimstone. And then you have lunch with them, and you're like, oh, this is a really great person. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really kind of shocking. <laughs> I, I
1: I will say I will say you know I um I I think a lot. Now some of this is just a lot of um very uh some of this is just good is a very good fortune. It's like a combination of my my um trying to you said tensions earlier, you know, trying to work out these tensions and difficulties when I'm like when I see like Things happening in the world or in our community and sort of like where where is God in this and that very much right. represents a challenge for me and trying trying to work that out but then also you know uh, over four years ago adopting a sober lifestyle and healthier lifestyle because it just what a you know before it just wasn't working out for me and really almost like I used I used to look much more to external validation It's still there yes. I'm not I'm not I'm not lying. I mean, I, I would never lie. It's There's still a part of me that very much wants to be liked, and the de- behavior you're describing of, like, the politician or the faith leader who maybe is saying what, what people want to hear, getting a reaction, right. that's very much within me, but really trying to take this experience of the last year in in the internal work. You know, yes. multiple conversations I've captured on the podcast, you know, and in, including about how am I changing my actions on... um issues like racism is it's almost like um trying to double down it's like okay am i really am i really doing the internal work and changing myself and my own perception and my own reactions and um i don't know it's been a good challenge for that and frankly i mean a lot let's be honest a lot of us um if we haven't been if 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 we haven't had you know job loss or A lot of the you know losses, losses of loved ones, and a lot of people have experienced that. But for a lot of us, and I say this with some amount of privilege, have been gifted with more time for that kind of work and reflection. If that makes sense, yes.
0: Yes. And I think the the key is just to take advantage of it. And I don't think we need to feel guilty about that gift. We do need to recognize that it's a gift and not something that I've necessarily earned. But, but that shouldn't stop us from saying, okay, if I have time to do the interior work, I need to do it. Yeah, And, um, and I recognize this as a gift from God, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to grab it with both hands.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, if people are listening to this from different spiritual traditions, it's like, it's like, well, how do you, how do you do that work? It's like, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say something, but I'm really kind of asking you, it's like in your, your own spiritual community, um, you know, making re, reaching out, doing what you described earlier, Father. It's like who who do I know in my network who's got a different life right. experience? Reaching out, um, reading good books too. I yes. mean, a lot, many of us have been blessed with more time to read. Um, i never, yeah. and, and I know you're 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 a you are a reader, very very young. You know, bef- right. be, be long before you you went to the Catholic seminary. Am I on the right track, or what would what, you know? If somebody's yeah, thinking, how how I, can I do that work?
0: I think there's uh, in in every spiritual tradition I I'm aware of there's uh, a tension a creative tension between the gathering and the the solitary and uh, so part of that is to be with others uh, if possible in a worship environment what, whatever tradition that you're part of but part of that is to sit with your understanding of who god is and uh whether it be prayer or meditation again uh, every tradition has this idea of the importance of both being together with the holy and being alone with the holy and uh neither one ought to be neglected for very long
1: yeah right that that's the tension i want to capture that again the tension between if i the the communal and the solitary or what the yes the yeah. communal and the solitary yeah so it's like switch so it's like both both being essential and just making sure that that we're aware of of kind of both aspects of our right. spiritual life yeah right yeah we need i, I remember it was a, it was your your ordination mass we need other people yeah <laughs> i heard that um well, are you looking forward to Easter or is that, is it too I early? Am,
0: I am. No, uh, I am in the thick of planning and uh, you know, I've been telling people uh, one of the things about the season that we're in is that uh, everything requires about twice as much planning for about 40% of the people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, we're busy uh, making plans and we're, uh, striking that, finding that tension between uh, being safe and uh, being faithful to who we are as a worshiping community.
1: Absolutely. Um, do am I crazy? Do you feel do you feel like we might be at an inflection point? And I, I don't even know what I'm asking. It's more just you know that's the intuitive side of me. But thinking that this that in five or ten years, maybe farther out, we might be looking back at. Hey, this thing, this thing came, the COVID came in just um, like a monster in, in March of 2020. And then, you know, the spring of in a year, you know, vaccinations and, you know, communal experiences or things like that. Or is that, or, or or I wonder, even as I say that, if that's like a dangerous way to think about it. And I don't know.
0: No, I I don't think it's dangerous. I think again, you know, my perspective as as a Christian is that we're called to be people of hope, and I think even kind of the dour predictions are that uh, we'll have enough vaccine within a couple of months for everybody who wants one to have one. Yeah, and um, I think also we have to begin to put our foot in the water, so to speak, of saying, what is safe for me at this time? Yeah. Um, you know, if our community spread rate is as low as it is right now, um, you know, what would be safe? And, uh, I, we need to begin becoming accustomed again to, uh, participating in those things that are important to us. And yeah. if, If they can be done outside, if they can be be done spread out, uh, all of those things are important, but we we can't keep waiting for a magical moment, in part because I don't think, I I don't know that we'll ever have a day when we're all in agreement that it's safe again.
1: Yeah. I I I, Yeah, and I think... We just have
0: to make those choices. And
1: that transition to return, I can see... (laughs) I, I can imagine a lot of people people approaching you for spiritual direction who are navigating uh let's say different family expectations, you know, right. different levels yes. of readiness within a family. I'm right. just imagining. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I this is just great stuff. I, I sure appreciate the time. I guess I would ask you, do you have, you know, any any parting words from the sense of um, you know, how do we take just and you know, we've talked about so many different facets of all these experiences of the past year, but for people for for anybody saying, How can I how can I take this this really unusual last year and really apply it to my life? Um yeah. are there anything anything that you would want to mention that we haven't talked about?
0: I, I think just a little bit of a repeat here, but I think um what what was good in this past year? What what did you what did we realize were uh, our priorities? What did we realize were? Uh, we talked a lot about essential workers, but what is? What are the essential elements of my life, and how do I prioritize those going forward?
1: Absolutely. Now, um, for for those of you, for people listening, and you know who, whether whether they're. Catholic or Christian or not, um, your homilies are excellent and they are, you can find your homilies on the, uh, St. Jude Indianapolis website, correct?
0: Yes. Or on our, uh, Facebook page. Okay.
1: So let's we'll just do a search for St. Jude Indianapolis. Yep. Well, father, there's so many more things I could ask you, but <laughs> I just appre- appreciate your time. And this is just, this is a great, a, this is so helpful for me, kind of a centering Good. conversation and, uh, Yes. Yeah, just as always, just appreciate your, your wisdom. And uh, again, just want to thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. I, I always enjoy talking with you as well, Michael. And uh, I, I I love the title of your podcast uh, <laughs> because, because you, you know, I feel like there's a small select group of us who can say I love Indianapolis. I know. Yep. Because uh, you know, some
1: because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you and I have conversations about things we hate about indie, right? But
0: that's right, that's right. But, but we can do that because we truly love it. We do, we do. And, we do. So, uh, and keep we're, up your good work. Well,
1: thanks a lot, and I appreciate it. You know, you you lead a a big community on the South Side, but you've been, you know, obviously involved in many other facets of the community over many years, and it really, it really has. I don't tell you this enough. It really has been wonderful having you back living in Indianapolis the past oh, couple good. of years it has thank you so okay well thank you father have a great day
0: absolutely you too brother. bye bye